0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for October 6th, 2021. A lot of good books out this week. Uh, a lot. Um, and mostly independent stuff. Some really great independent stuff. A couple decent Marvel books. DC was kind of a down week. Just a reminder, if you want to hear about the DC books, we always do our DC spotlight on Tuesdays when the DC books drop. And those, of course, have spoilers. Rocky from Comic Boom and I do a deep dive on DC, uh, talk about the story, talk about events that happen in the book. So just keep in mind if you do listen to the DC episodes, that you'll want to make sure you read the the comics first, as opposed to this episode, the new comics Wednesday episode where we go spoiler free, talk about the comics in general, recommend what we think you should be reading, um, and the books that we really liked, and then obviously you know you can decide for yourself if you want to go pick them up. So. Actually, the first book I'm going to talk about actually also came out on Tuesday, but it's not a DC book. And I don't know what the normal release schedule is for comiXology books, if they normally do come out on Tuesday, if they're comiXology originals. But we do know that Best Jacket Press, which is the publishing imprint, I guess you'd say, of Scott Snyder and a lot of his uh, creative collaborators... Uh, We do know that Best Jacket Press has signed a deal with Comixology. There's going to be, I think, four series dropping in October, or Scott-tober, as it's been dubbed by Comixology, one every Tuesday for every week of October, starting with this last Tuesday, the 5th of October. And maybe the most anticipated book in the Best Jacket Press Comixology deal, which if you don't know... Uh, If you have Amazon Prime, you get these books for free. If you have a Comixology Unlimited account, obviously you get them as well as a ton of other content. Or you can go to Amazon and just search for We Have Demons. That's the name of the first title that's dropped. And you can just pay for a digital copy of it. Um, These will be printed at a later time by Dark Horse. Dark Horse has a deal with Comixology when they decide to print any of their digital comics that's where they uh, they come out from. So uh, part of the reason that this one may be the most anticipated is because it's Scott working with his longtime collaborator on Batman, Greg Capullo. Jonathan Glapion returns as well, the inker who just makes the line work of uh, of Capullo really sing. Uh, Dave McCaig handles the colors. We have Tom Napolitano on letters. So I'm going to do a much deeper dive into this. I'll release it as a audio podcast i think but it'll definitely be on the youtube channel i'll show off some art i'll talk about the story more in depth there probably will be a few spoilers so i do encourage everybody go and check it out i mean i think everybody has amazon prime pretty much right that's why amazon has so much money uh so yeah just go to amazon prime do a search for we have demons and you'll be able to read it and i do recommend it i love that it's coming out on tuesdays and i just thought it was fantastic it blew me away. It was so much fun. Um, I'm not exactly sure. There's no page numbers when you read it through the browser. So I'm not sure how many pages it is, but it feels like a big chunk of story. And like I said, the line work is awesome. It had a really cool cliffhanger. It had a lot of cool concepts and there's there's religion, there's science, there's big ideas in scope here. It It really feels like Snyder and Capullo are, and the whole creative team really are, are giving their all. They're clearly passionate about this book. So uh, it's my book of the week. Best thing I read this week. Um, I thought I even liked it better than Nice House on the Lake, which that was a fantastic comic from James Tynan. Uh, but I think this one edges it out just because this is the last thing I'll say about it. And then again, I encourage everybody, if you want to know more detail, hear more of my thoughts about We Have Demons, go check out the standalone Episode, it's going to come out on Wednesday, but it won't be out at like six AM Eastern, like the, um, like the new comics Wednesday episodes are because it's video. It'll take a little longer, so but it'll be out sometime uh, today, as this is being released on on the sixth. So the last thing I will say, and the reason I, I kind of like it even better than Nice House on the Lake, and it's not like Nice House on the Lake has any continuity either. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of creative freedom, but. It doesn't feel as big in scope. It's it's sort of intimate, which you want for a horror story. And it's by the very nature of the story, it's it's somewhat restricted and confined to that area where they're all trapped, as opposed to this new world that Snyder and Capullo have created with we have demons and the sky's the limit. They literally can do anything. It's fantastic. There haven't been a whole lot of rules established yet, and that's fine. Um so it, it feels uh, just rife with potential, and I just thought it was fantastic. So, again, go check out the standalone episode for We Have Demons. Highly encourage you all to uh, to check it out. All right, let's move on to uh, some of the other books that you can actually pick up in your comic shop today. I'm going to start with Almost American from Aftershock. This is issue number two. It's from writer Ron Mars. The art is by Marco Castelio. Flavio Dispenza does the colors. Russ Wooten is on letters and we did talk about the first issue when it came out and this is based on the real life story of a couple of russian intelligence agents who uh, defected because basically their government decided that they didn't want them around anymore so they didn't have a a whole lot of choices Um, but despite some of the promises that our government made to them things didn't exactly go the way they should have so how much of this almost american is based on what they actually went through and how much is sort of uh, dramatized for effects and for entertainment. I'm not exactly sure. What I do know is that the first issue felt very real uh, and the second issue does as well. Um, It definitely feels like we're building relationships. We're laying the foundation. As we know, most of these Aftershock series are only uh, five issues. So I imagine after the second issue, and especially based on what we see in the last page of the second issue, That the kind of uh, spy action thriller espionage portion of the story is coming up really really quick so you probably again I'm not going to spoil but you probably can guess what's what's coming right we're talking about some Russian agents who've defected to America what's Russia's response going to be right they're not just going to let that stand you would think so you can imagine what might be happening uh, in issue three so uh, again it's based on a true story that gives it an edge I think makes it very interesting and I think uh, Ron Mars is doing a great job of bringing this to life the art by Marco Castillo is very detailed um, it's I wouldn't say it's photorealistic by any stretch of the imagination but it's it's really solid clean comic book art colors by dispensa are great as well so you know um, visually this is a great book um, if I had any nitpick about it um, about the art one, well, you know what? I, I can't even say that because I was going to say that a lot of the pages tend to be sort of um, kind of standard with their panel layouts. But as I'm flipping through the digital preview copy here, I see a few pages and I'm reminded of when I read it, there, there were a few double page spreads where uh, the panels were kind of just overlapping and, and it wasn't kind of your standard comic book grid. Um and uh, Marco also does a good job of varying the camera angles around, because like I said, the first couple of issues, it's really been sort of a talking heads story so far, but the tension has been building, the, the drama's building. So uh, as I said, I'm expecting a lot of action next issue. So do recommend that as I, as I often do of, uh, of all Aftershock books. Uh, so Almost American number two. Uh, okay. Up next, I know a lot of people have been anticipating this one. It's Amazing Spider Man, number 75. And it's a whole new era of Spider Man. Uh, this particular issue is written by Zeb Wells. There's art by Patrick Gleason. Marcio Menez handles the colors. Joe Caramagna is on the letters. And they also have Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladina Med, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb Wells are listed as the Beyond Board. Those are basically the. Uh, the five writers who are going to write the next—I think it's 19 issues—Spider-Man. of Spider-Man, And there's going to be uh, some really cool Arthur Adams standard covers, and then there's a, a whole number of big names that are doing variant covers, as as always on uh, on uh, Marvel books. Um, there's also a couple of backup stories that I think will tie into the main story eventually. The first one is called Love and Monsters, and it's happens two weeks in the past, and it has The Daughters of the Dragon, Colleen Wing, and Misty Knight. That's a couple page stories written by Kelly Thompson, arts by Travel Foreman, colors are by Jim Campbell, and letters are by Joe Caramagna. And then there's a a third story called Kafka, written by Zeb Wells, art is by Ivan Fiorelli, colors by Edgar Delgado, and letters by Joe Caramagna as well. So we do know that The new, this 19, um, this 19 part story, um, that's called Spider Man Beyond, and those writers, as I said, listed as the Beyond Board, are basically Ben Riley getting a chance to take over as, as Spider Man for, uh, for us a while for the duration of this story. So I haven't read a lot of Ben Riley stuff. Uh, I know that. You know, I read the original Clone Saga way back in the 90s when that first came out and he first made his appearance. I know people have mixed feelings about him. I know Peter David wrote a long run on him that was uh, well-received. But I, I'm definitely ready for a change after Spencer had his long three-year run that has had its problems. And you know, if you're not familiar, there's any number of reviews out there you can go and check out and, um, and kind of see what a lot of the, the problems were. There's also a teaser in the back of this that says... Coming in January, there's Ben Riley Spider-Man written by J.M. Dematteis and, and draw, drawn by David Baldione. So, does that mean that there's going to be Ben Riley and Peter Parker? Because it feels like this story, um, what's been sort of teased, is that Ben Riley is going to be the only Spider-Man for, for this 19-part story. Peter Parker is going to be sort of taken off the playing field, so to speak. Um, so, real, real curious. It's been a long time since um, th- since I've been this excited and anticipatory for Spider-Man stories because I don't know what to expect. I don't know what direction they're going to take. And for a long time, I haven't felt excited about Spider-Man just because Nick Spencer's run. while it had some good ideas. The execution wasn't that great. And it just kind of felt never ending. Like I was on this treadmill that I couldn't get off of. Um, But it always felt like it was trudging along in one particular direction, which was the direction of the kindred storyline. So, the fact that I I don't know that there's some mystery going on, uh, I think that's a good thing. The other thing that I hope that we're going to get to, because we didn't, I feel, didn't feel like we had it in Spencer run, but I don't necessarily feel like there's room for it here either. Um, but that could be because this isn't a Peter Parker story. It's a Ben Riley story. And, and what that is that I feel like Spider-Man has been missing for a long, long time is the voice of Peter Parker. Like I'm so used to reading Spider-Man stories and this was especially the case back in the day when you had thought balloons, but I'm so used to reading Spider-Man stories where you're getting into Peter's thought process. You're getting into Peter's emotions and what he's feeling like you read his thoughts and those thought balloons and you know where he's coming from. And I feel like we didn't really get that in, in Spencer Spider-Man run. I mean, Spider-Man, he, he Spencer packed it with so many characters that it it didn't even feel like a Peter Parker book. It felt like an ensemble Book and you know it is amazing Spider-Man, but you know to me, especially the classic stories, you got as much Peter Parker story as you did Spider-Man story. In the Spencer run, it felt like he was just in the costume all the time. And again, I just couldn't get a sense of what Pete was going through. It's only one issue in this Beyond story of nineteen parts, and I do once again sort of feel we do get a little bit of emotion from Pete and a little bit of a state of mind, but not not a lot. Not as much as you might expect, considering what he's just gone through. But again, the point is that this is a Ben Riley story and not a Peter Parker story. And We sort of get almost more of where Ben's coming from and Ben's state of mind than we do Pete's, um, which I'm okay with that, actually, if this is a Ben Riley story. But I do want to get to the point where Amazing Spider-Man is, stars, uh, is starring Peter Parker, and I get Peter Parker as the main character. And he's the character that shows up the most and that we get the most insight on. Um, so it's a promising start just based on this story. I like the interaction between Ben and Pete, obviously Pete's pretty surprised that, that Ben is back and, and where it goes. We'll, we'll see, but at least there's a level of excitement uh, for the first time in a long time. So I'm be really curious to hear what a lot of the other Spider-Man pundits are going to say about this, because like I said, uh, a lot of people were, not happy with Nick Spencer's run, and I weren't happy really with the way that it ended, but we're happy that it ended. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. Um, as far as the artwork goes, uh, pretty clean for Patrick Gleason art. Like I'm not used to seeing. I mean, Gleason's a fantastic talent, both as a, a writer and an artist. He's he's somewhat of a chameleon. He can vary his style. And this is somewhat of a cleaner style than I've seen him uh, do before. Um, but another thing that I am sort of worried about with this 19 part story, obviously, 19 parts coming out over just a few uh, months, three months or so. Obviously, Pete, Patrick Gleason is not going to be able to draw at all. So I just hope the art style stays somewhat consistent um, because, you know, when they accelerated the schedule and started putting out all this Spider Man content to try to wrap up Nick Spencer's run. There were so many different artists on there. That it just it there was no sort of visual continuity to the story. It, it jumped around all over the place between different styles, and you know there weren't anything like glaring. I think they tried to pick artists whose styles were relatively similar, but it loses something when it's not that consistent vision of one uh, artist. But obviously, if you're putting it out putting out a story this quickly, there's just no way one artist can draw it all. So, kind of the nature of the beast. And, uh, I just hope it's a good story and, and we can get back to maybe a once a month, amazing Spider-Man with one artist. I don't know, call me old fashioned, but like to get there at some point. Uh, anyway, first issue of, of uh, the new era of Spider-Man is out and uh, it was pretty solid. Curious to see where it goes to next. Uh, all right, next up another Marvel book, Captain Marvel we to issue 33, this is from writer Kelly Thompson. The art is by Sergio de Villa. inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Jesus Arbatov, letters by Clayton Cowles. This is part two of the last Marvel. So basically what happened the last issue was Carol was kind of minding her own business. And then uh, this person in a black suit, like a, a the sort of evil version that we saw, I don't know, 20 issues ago or so when Carol was trapped inside a a black suit version of her costume uh, that was created by Vox Supreme and it basically took over Carol and forced her to do her bidding. So she's hanging out and all of a sudden last issue, she's attacked by somebody in one of these suits and she tries to pull her punches a little bit because she's worried that it's somebody else being manipulated. As far as she knows, Vox Supreme is supposed to be, uh, imprisoned in the raft, which is Marvel's sort of uh, super top secret uh, maximum security prison for supervillains. Obviously, Vox Supreme has escaped. And come to find out, Carol ends up having to unleash her power a little more than she wants because it gets to that point where the person in the black suit attacking her doesn't give her any choice. And sure enough, it turns out to be a friendly. It turns out to be Philavel of the Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, a previous holder of the Captain Marvel name. And so once Carol realizes this, she realizes that Vox Supreme is probably going around recruiting uh, people who have held that name of of Marvel, right? So she contacts Spectrum, uh, Monica Rambo, who used to be Captain Marvel, she contacts Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, and she finds out that Kamala is um, being attacked at that moment by four other people in these black suits. So this picks up this issue picks up where that left off with a big battle. Uh, between uh, Carol and Miss Marvel and these uh, four black suited Miss Marvels. We we find out the connection to Vox Supreme. Uh, we see a lot of Carol's supporting staff show up here. And it's basically all out action and fighting from cover to cover. So, um, absolutely fantastic art from Sergio De Villa. I, I was blown away by it. And a classic superhero action y popcorn comic here. Um, I have to be honest though. It's it's not my favorite thing that Kelly Thompson does. She does a great job and don't get me wrong. It's, it's super entertaining. Um, but it is very much that, you know, big blockbuster summer popcorn flick. Um, that's great eye candy, but we're not necessarily developing Carol's, um, characterization, you know, her feelings, her emotions like that, that future story and the fallout of that, when she came back and, her relationship with Rhodey and all that stuff like that's my favorite sort of Kelly Thompson Captain Marvel stories because it's it's so much about who Carol is and the choices she makes and the kind of the everyday things you can relate to you know her struggle with addiction to alcohol that that sort of thing I can't really relate to being attacked by super heroes who are being brainwashed by black suits that they're forced to wear you know there's not a touchstone there but Kelly Thompson is an incredible writer, and I know by the end of the story she'll bring it back to um, to some sort of emotional connection to to Carol and, and something that we can uh, can relate to. So, uh, not jumping off this at at any point because it is story within a story. Last of the Marvels, and uh, I'm curious to see how it all is going to uh, play out. Um, but again, it's just not my absolute favorite thing that Kelly Thompson does with Captain Marvel, but it's good. It's fun, and if that's what you're looking for, escapism in your comics, and just eye candy with some great fighting, you'll love this uh, this issue. Really, really fast-paced, action-packed. Uh, okay, let's see. Up next, I'm going to talk about another Aftershock book. It's the first issue. It's called Chicken Devil. It's written by Brian Bucciolato or Buccioletto rather, uh, Hayden Sherman does the art, Hassan El How on the letters. This was, there's a lot of variants uh, covers as well, but Chicken Devil. Okay, so where do I start with this? It's basically the story of a guy who owns a bunch of hot chicken fast food places, and his buddy gets him in a s- sticky situation, and things go sideways really quick, And there's consequences for the guy that started this fast food restaurant chain and his family. And it's wild and wacky and fast paced and funny. And I didn't know what to expect. I mean, it's called chicken devil. Like I I literally did not know what to expect. I mean, two things. I picked it up because it's aftershock and I'll give anything they do a try because their stuff's good. And it's Brian Buccioletto. and I'm I'm a big fan of Brian. He's done some really great comics uh, over the years, and and yeah, I'm usually a fan of his work. So um, this is just out there, you know. It's fun. It's there's action. There's humor. There's uh, like dark humor, um, and I think like people who are fans of things like Breaking Bad, uh, which I've never seen, but I've I've heard and breaking bads even mentioned meta textually in the story here that kind of nobody's safe, anything goes, you know. Normal guy in incredible circumstances with you know, mafia and crime families and syndicates and, and all that sort of thing like throw just a normal guy thrown into the deep end of the pool and the crap hits the fan quickly. That's what this is. Um. And the art by Hayden Sherman, it suits the sort of frenetic style of the story really, really well. Also, like I'm used to Hayden's style being a lot more sort of sketchy and unfinished, but uh, his line work here is a lot cleaner than I've uh, seen it in the past. And he handles all the artwork himself, including the colors. So this is definitely um, you know how he envisions the story. It's it's his vision on the page in terms of telling the story uh, visually. And it's it's a great job. Like I finished reading the first issue and I was like, I got to the last page. <laughs> there was kind of a shock ending. And I, I'm like, oh man, I need the next issue right now. It's so fun. Um, so it's kind of out there. It's kind of irreverent. It's not really what you expect. And it, it, it definitely feels like a Brian Buccioletto book. So um, if you're a fan of his work or if you've never read anything from him at all, I think either way you pick this up because it, it's that fun. And there's a lot of, uh, like I said, fun, dark humor in it and, uh, relatability, this guy's in way over his head. And, uh, you know, maybe I've never been chased by or wanted by rough and Russian mafia or Russian thugs or whatever, but, you know, definitely can relate to the feeling of being in the situation that you've gotten into because somebody else made some bad choices and you're in over your head and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. Um, and you just kind of have to laugh. Uh, so, yeah, really, really great start. Chicken Devil, not one that you would probably think of picking up normally, but I do recommend it. It's a lot of fun, really wild ride. And if, like I said, if you're a fan of something like Breaking Bad, definitely should give this a try. Um, from everything I know of Breaking Bad, I could see why people are making the comparison. So just pick up the first issue, check it out. Uh, I think you'll you'll be glad you did. Okay, up next, uh, another Marvel book. It's Dark Ages, issue number two from writer Tom Taylor. Art is by Ivan Coelho. Colors are by Brian Raber. Letters are by Joe Sabino. So if you didn't read Dark Ages, uh, the first issue, basically what happens is there's this super powerful being who was imprisoned on Earth just millions and millions of years ago in the center of the Earth. That was his prison, and the insinuation is sort of because this guy is in prison, because this incredible, powerful entity is in prison, is what sort of sparked life to begin on Earth, because they imprisoned him in a dead planet, purposely not wanting to endanger life. Um, But because he's there and he's so powerful, life has has been jump-started on planet Earth. So all that's well and good, but then millions and millions of years later, after life has developed and evolved into mankind... This guy, for whatever reason, wakes up and he's threatening to break out of the center of the earth and and literally crack the earth in two. So, the Marvel superheroes, being who they are, they put together a team, they go down there and they try to stop this Unmaker, and things do not go well to the point where Doctor Strange is forced to release an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, to stop this Unmaker from destroying the earth. But once the spell has been cast, before Dr. Strange can turn it off, after the Unmaker has been stopped, Dr. Strange is killed. So he casts a spell, the EMP happens, in, and it stops the Unmaker, but the Unmaker in his kind of final throes of, uh, of life mortally wounds Dr. Strange, and Dr. Strange dies with his EMP spell still going. So eventually that EMP spell basically encompasses the entire planet earth. And so electricity no longer works technology. That's all a thing of the past. So dark ages happen and that's sort of everything that happened in the first issue. So you read the second issue and you sort of expect everything's going to be post-apocalyptic. Everything's going to be horrible. Everybody's going to be living in uh, like poverty and, and, you know, scratching around to survive. you, you Without electricity, without light, you know, my brain's going to like Noctera places, Uh, Scott Snyder and uh, Tony Daniels' world where there is no sunlight and people turn into shades and whatnot. There's still sun here, but just no electricity. Um, Well, Tom Taylor sort of flips all those expectations on their head. And I'm not going to tell you how he does that because I don't want to spoil. But if you thought the story was going to be about how mankind is struggling and the heroes that remain are struggling just to survive... In the world of the Dark Ages, you might be pretty surprised by what actually is sort of foreshadowed in this book. And it's something that I wasn't expecting at all. But once I got into it and started reading it, I was like, hell yeah, this is going to be good. It's it's something more original. It's something more fun and more action-packed and more Marvel-y, you know, more Marvel Universe-like um, than something as... I don't want to say overused, but it is a trope, right? To tell these um, these post-apocalyptic tales in the far future where mankind has no resources, no no energy, no electricity, you know, whatever, they're out there in the wastelands. Uh, that story has been told tons of times. And it's not to say that Tom Taylor couldn't have done a good job with that sort of story using Marvel characters, but I think what he's setting up is so much more interesting because it's a story told much less frequently than the idea that we were talking about before. So the other thing that's great about it is uh, Ivan Coelho gets to design all these sort of futuristic dark ages versions of the heroes that we know and love, you know, from Captain America to Spider-Man to Blade to X-23. And that's all fun too. So great art. It's well-paced. I don't know how many issues it's going to be. Uh, but sort of based on the pacing so far, I would think like eight to 10, maybe. Um, but yeah, I I was, I was really the, even the first issue of dark age wasn't necessarily what I expected. Um, but when I read it, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get what it's called. Dark ages makes total sense. I think I know where he's going. And then I read issue two and I'm like, nope, no idea where he's going. He's going in a totally different direction. Uh, and so these first two issues have definitely been foundational, I feel like with issue three and subsequent issues, the story is going to start narrowing down to the actual focus uh, now that we sort of have the premise and it's going it's going to be a fun ride uh, and has been so far with these first uh, couple of issues. So, uh, okay, next book I'm going to talk about. It's another Marvel book. I'm just going to mention it briefly. It's Defenders number three storytellers are Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez letters by Joe Caramagna. So uh, Javier Rodriguez does a great job in the art, including the colors, color work in here is is fantastic. What I can say about Defenders, Defenders has always been sort of the offbeat sort of um, team book of the Marvel Universe, and Al Ewing's doing a great job of keeping that feeling going. So there was some real big threat to Earth. Doctor Strange cast a spell, a spell he knew he couldn't control that was going to go out on its own and recruit members of a new team of defenders and then take them where they needed to go to stop this threat and dr strange knew it was a risk because once he started the spell it was going to be out of his hands and the spell ended up taking them to the previous iteration of the universe where galactus who we know as the world devourer was just galen just a little baby being born and that's how galactus came to be who he was right like he was the last survivor of the old reality before it it died and the universe started over with a big bang and he was the only being that survived. And that's why he has to feed because he doesn't quite get the sustenance he would get in his own universe because he's in a new universe and that kind of thing. And so we, we go back one cycle. Um, and like I said, Galactus is just a little baby, but his reality is being, uh, attacked by another being called the omnivore or something like that. who's basically that universe's version of Galactus because he's from, again, the cycle before. So, um, this is all because there's a, a magic user who is attempting to gain a lot of power, and he has uh, gone back in time, or, or, or he has cast spells that have taken him back to where he can uh, can learn a lot. Uh, Carlo Zota Zoto is his name, um, and, and he sort of set these uh, events in motion, and so it, it's almost like the Avengers are chasing him sort of back in time, back into previous uh, existen- existences, um, or did I say Avengers? I meant defenders, if I did, apologize for that. So uh, it gives Al Ewing a chance to to really he's spread his wings. Like I was talking earlier about what a great job uh, Capullo and Sn- uh, Snyder get to do with creative freedom. You know, when you're working in the confines of the Marvel Universe, you have much less creative freedom. So what's the answer, right? Uh, not not only go back in time, but go back so far that you're in prehistory. You're, you're three or four different versions of the universe back where my magic first began and, and all these sorts of things. So just like before with defenders, like kind of like defenders has always been, this is a very offbeat, strange and weird book. Uh, they've always been the weird, strange and offbeat team. So it definitely suits um, the name of, uh, of defenders. So I'm not, Super invested in this, just because I'm not really invested in, in any of the characters that are on the new Defenders. Um, you know, Doctor Strange this is okay. Probably the one character that I'm, I'm most invested in is is Harpy or uh, Betty Banner, Be- uh, Betty Ross, if you want to use her maiden name, who's who's now Harpy, and has most recently been seen in the Immortal Hulk books. But but Doctor Strange, Cloud, uh, Master Writer, and this new member of the team that they recruited from the last reality they were in Taya um, don't really have that much interest in, in them. Um, But maybe because it's Al Ewing and because it's Betsy Ross, what we have seen are some hints that this ties into his immortal Hulk run in a way, because we're sort of seeing that green door and we're seeing ancient evil as it were uh, you know, the, the one below and all that sort of thing. So um, definitely part of that rich, story of uh or rich lore that aliwin created for uh immortal hulk so tangentially related i think the story will stand on its own you can read it without reading any immortal hulk and you're gonna get just as much out of it um but yeah it hasn't hasn't drawn me in yet um but i'm interested enough that i'm i'm still reading it uh and every time i go to read it i'm like well I, i'm in for something weird and Alune has let yet to let me down uh, and we got another super weird image on the last page of this one that's going to tie into what goes down next issue. And yeah, really strange. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Al Ewan is uh, chowing down on some psychedelic mushrooms before he writes this book. But yeah, the best thing I can say about it is it's weird and strange, but in a fun way. Uh, and I think if you're a fan of the Defenders from back in the day, you'll probably dig this because uh, you're probably into strange and weird. Stories. So, uh, okay. Up next, an image book. It's the Me You Love in the Dark. This is issue number three. It's from Scotty Young with art by Jorge Corona. Colors are by Jean Francois Belleu. Nate Pico. So Blambot does the letters. Uh, And this is a this is getting to be a really compelling story. That that when you read it, or at least when I read it, you can sort of see that it's tragedy in the making. Like. You know, when sometimes you see two people together in a relationship and they appear to be like so in love and so in sync and they really care about each other. But as an outsider, uh, you know, a, a non biased third party looking at them, you know that even though they won't mean to and even though they love each other, that it's going to end in tragedy. One's going to be hurt or the other's going to be hurt. Like it just, It's just not going to work. You can see something there. You can see the writing on the wall. You know, they're, maybe they're just not good for each other or it's not going to to work out in the long run. That's the story that's being told here with the me you love in the dark with this artist who decides to, to get away from the city. Um, She hasn't been able to paint in a long time. Um, You know, she was discovered as an independent artist and, and, uh, you know, just on the street, poor, struggling, trying to survive. And then, Her art was discovered, and she's had a couple of shows and become hugely popular, and all that added pressure of actually being someone in the art world and having galleries and shows and her paintings selling for all this money, there's pressure that comes with that, and and she's no longer able to just freely create. So she tries to take a break, get away from the city, goes out to this house that is rumored to be haunted, ends up renting it, and then finds out there is some sort of entity or ghost or some supernatural something to this house and sort of starts a relationship starts talking to this being, whoever he or she is. Uh, and we saw that last issue. Um, and with this issue, we see their relationship continue to grow, but that undercurrent that I was just talking about of, and how can this end? Well, they're from two different worlds. And you, you can just see that that tragedy is, is there like the, the, the seeds for something horrible and horrific to happen uh, have been planted. So it's, even though it's a supernatural tale or a horror tale, in a way it's very human and very down to earth and something that if you've been in a relationship like that, you probably can relate to. So uh, I, I do find it fascinating. Now, this is the same team that brought us Middle West, which was about the relationship between a father and a son and it was a little bit fanciful and the world of middle west sort of reminded me of the the land of oz and there were strange creatures and and whatnot and that at various times the art was uh, very brightly colored um the, that jorge corona line work well being that this is sort of a horror story and spooky and uh, moody uh Jean francois Belleu gives us uh you know much more muted colors a lot of Browns and and dark blues and purples and and dark oranges and whatnot. Um, and so it's not bright. it doesn't give us that bright sort of fantasy like world of uh, of middle west and it shouldn't. so uh, fantastic job of uh, of coloring from Jean Francois though because he still accentuates Jorge Corona's line work really, really well. and uh, this is a gorgeous book to look at. And the mood of it, like, it's so good. I almost feel like, and not to sell Scotty Young short on his scripting, but I almost feel like this story, these first three issues have been so perfectly illustrated that you don't even need to read the words to understand what's going on. Like you literally could just look at the first three issues visually without reading anything and have a pretty good idea. You'd be 80% of the way there at least. So that's uh that's masterful storytelling. So if you're a fan of Middle West, I recommend you check this out. If you've never read any of Scotty Young's uh writing and you're just used to you know seeing his art on covers and whatnot, variant covers, definitely give this a try. The guy's got chops when it comes to uh, telling stories narratively. And like I said, the art team on this book is uh, is firing on all cylinders. So another another fantastic issue of uh, the me you love in the dark. Uh, okay. Up next, Party and Pray. This is a a one-shot for mature readers. I guess a graphic novel, you'd say, from, uh, from Aftershock. It's 114 pages, I believe. Uh, it's written by Steve Fox and Steve Orlando. The art is by Alex Sanchez. Colors are by Juan Cho and letters are by Hassan Atman Elhau. There's i I'll talk about the back matter first. There's a, there's an essay in the back of the book. So this is basically about a a gay serial killer who is sort of preying on younger. He's old, he's of an older generation and, and, um, and he's sort of preying on the the younger generation of, of gays. And the excuse he gives is, uh, is just that it's just an excuse about, well, he's, it's not right that, that, gay men of of today are out there living the gay lifestyle, going to nightclubs, being able to be out there and and you know literally out there and uh and be you know much more accepted in society and he had to live his whole life in the closet and it's not fair blah 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 that's no excuse to do the horrific things that he he does but in the back of the book uh, like i was saying there's a there's a, an essay from the the two Steves and it talks about them wanting to tell this sort of real life story um not that it's directly inspired by any real life uh, serial killer, but it, it's shining the light in those areas, right? And and talking about how when you're already a marginalized person, like somebody who's gay, um, it's not the easiest thing in the world to go and to the quote unquote establishment <laughs> and ask for help, right? Like it, it's harder to get help. It's harder for people to believe you. Um, it's just the way that it is when you're, you're marginalized and you can even talk about this when you, in relation to women, when we talk about women going to seek medical, uh, help how that are often not believed as much as a, a man would be. Um, so it's sort of that, um, that thing that they wanted to, to shine a light on. But the other part of this is not to say that, you know, gay people are evil or, or not, but one of the things I took from the story is, Yeah it's hard to sometimes get your needs and concerns recognized as a marginalized person. But, but the other thing is that we're all people good and bad, you know, whether you're, you know, a straight white guy, there's plenty of straight white guys that have been horrible people and murders and whatever. Um, so you, but there's plenty of good in that group as well, right? Well, the gay community is the same way just because somebody's gay doesn't mean they're, uh, inherently good or bad. That, that's not what defines their morality. So I think that's an important thing to remember as well. And despite the fact that there are bad people, and you know, this is certainly a, a story that maybe goes a little far out of the realm of actual possibility, because at the end of the day, it's a comic book story. Um, you can sort of flip it on its head. And that's kind of what I took it as if you want to take like a silver lining from this horrific story um is that it's a reminder that no matter what group quote unquote you belong to um you could be good or bad uh and so in that way we're all not so different right like no matter what your proclivities are in terms of sexual orientation or gender or any of that kind of thing at the end of the day we're all much more alike than we are different and we need to be able to set aside those differences. So if you want to take a silver lining from the story, you can look that way. Uh, you want to talk about the story itself. It's brutal. Uh, it is really brutal, but it's super compelling. And it's very tightly paced. Uh, you get a, a full story. Like I, I kept, there are plenty of beats in the stories that felt like cliffhangers. And I was afraid, like, I was pretty sure this was a, a like a one- and done graphic novel but there were so many times where i'm like man if they had split this up this would have been a good chance good place to stop like it does keep going right and i would flip to the next page and go okay i kept worrying that i was going to flip to the next page and have it say you know come back for next issue or whatever even though i I knew it was a one shot like i said just a, a one and done story um but but masterful you know even though it is a one and done uh there are plenty of ups and downs and it like i said very tightly uh, Paste very tightly scripted, and I, I loved it. You know, I mean, I'm not a a gay man, uh, but that didn't keep me from relating to these characters and and the horrors that they're being uh, horrors that is that they're being uh, subjected to. And you know, it, it didn't really come as a surprise if I see the name Steve Orlando on a comic, I I expect it to be good. Uh, maybe that's not fair for me to put those expectations on Steve, but he's rarely let me down. So uh, I thought this was really really good the art is is fantastic if not visceral and bloody at times uh there is a disclaimer on the front says for mature readers it's definitely for mature readers um and not for any kind of sex stuff but just it is it's brutal at times very visceral um not terribly gory but there is blood uh in, in a few spots and plenty of it so yeah i thought this was was really great it'd make a really good movie i think uh as well. Uh, although maybe if you wanted to keep it rated R, you might have to tone down some of the uh, the more violent scenes a, a little bit. But yeah, I thought this was great. And if you do pick it up and read it, and I do recommend that you do, please take your time to read that essay in the back from uh, Steve Orlando and Steve Fox talking about uh, kind of their thoughts on on why they wanted to tell the story, what it meant to them, and that sort of thing. And it because I think it's uh, it's important and it definitely added to kind of the perspective I have on, on the story uh, and got me thinking about a few other aspects of it that I may not have otherwise. So uh, again, fantastic job. Party and Pray, Aftershock, once again, putting out some really good stuff this week. Uh, okay, next book I'm going to talk about is another image title. This is from writer Rick Remender, Andre Lima Arajo. I think is how you pronounce it. His the artist Chris O'Halloran does the colors, Russ Putin does letters. It's called A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. And I really don't have any idea what I read. There are very few words here, very few word balloons. It's it's very much a visual story about a guy who we we meet in the first couple pages, and he appears to be on a mission but we don't know why. It's set in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he's sort of traveling around the city, pulls out his phone a couple of times. He's looking uh, to get to a particular place. Um, It's about his journey there when when various things happen and and sort of go wrong. So it sort of feels like a mystery, sort of feels like crime noir. Um, It definitely feels interesting. And again, the fact that there's almost no words, and it's it's a visual story. And the reason there's no words is cuz the guy is pretty much on his own. He doesn't really have anybody to to talk to or the need to talk to anybody. He's got his idea of what he's doing that day and he's just going to do it. Um but when he gets where he's going things there aren't necessarily what he expected them to be. So uh yeah, no idea where this is going to go, but this was Jay's book of the week. He unfortunately I'm once again recording too late for him to be able to join me uh, but he did want me to mention that this was his um, his book of the week and he said it it the reason he picked it is because it got his attention so much that he immediately wanted more of the story and he just thought it was really really fun uh, and I should also say that the art by andre is is fantastic it's uh, really fine line work super detailed uh, reminds me of Jeff Darrow a little bit in the amount of detail but Sometimes the backgrounds aren't quite as detailed as, as what you might get in a Jeff Darrow book, but, but it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree with, with Jay, that this was a, a, an incredible read uh, or incredible comic. And like I said, there's not actually that much to read, um, but yeah, I mean, this is the best thing. This may be the best thing I've ever uh, seen from Rick Remender. It's it's that good. It, it's one of those comics that really shows you what you can do with the medium how much emotion and impact you can have on the reader with visual storytelling, because there's a couple of things that go down in this book. And again, very little words on the page. And you're just like, whoa, crap. And through the context of the way the characters act and their body language, you know there's something going on there and you're trying to get inside their head. So yeah, this feels very, very crime noir, very sort of... uh, New, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like a like an avant-garde, I guess, sort of Asian crime film. Uh, maybe I'm getting the Asian from from the fact that the main character is Asian. Uh, I'm not sure, but beautiful uh, artwork was beautiful from Chris uh and the colors from him were were fantastic. Yeah, this was just a, a really, 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 really impressive comic. So very very curious to see what happens next. Just like, uh, just like Jay. So, uh, all right. Up next we have another uh, AfterShock book. This is issue number four. Uh, we've talked about the uh, the first three issues previously. It's called Seven Swords. It's written by Evan Dardi. Uh, Federico Deleccio is the artist. Valentina Bianconi is the colorist. Dave Sharp's the letters handles the letters. Now the first couple of issues were from a different artist and I'm not a hundred percent surprised that he didn't continue. Cause I imagine it probably took him a long time to do those first two. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think his last name was Latina. Um, but his art was, was fantastic and so gorgeous and, and lush and rich. Um, and that's not to say that the, the current artist doesn't do a, a fantastic job too, Frederico, um, gives a lot of detail in his art um, and the action scenes particularly and, and the backgrounds. And uh, I love the camera angles. He chooses a lot of really kind of oblique angles that give us different looks. We're, we're looking up at people or we're looking down from like a bird's eye view. Uh, love all that. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't miss the the lushness and the richness that, uh, that Latina brought. Um, as far as the story goes, it, it's basically kind of a continuation of the Three Musketeers story from Alexander Dumas. Um, D'Artagnan the only one left, but he goes and he's recruiting six other swordsmen um, to sort of stop Cardinal Richelieu once and for all. And the other swordsmen happen to be these sort of famous historical figures, Cyrano de Bergerac and uh, Casanova and that sort of thing, uh, which I think is really fun to pull in these historical characters. Um, But I think this one's suffering a little bit from not enough space to allow the story to breathe uh, because it's been told after the, like the first two issues were okay i didn't notice it as much the third issue it started feeling like we we're we we're missing things stuff was ending up on the cutting room floor and i definitely feel like that with this third issue because it's just moving at such a breakneck pace that they're the, this team of, of seven swordsmen are, are undertaking these missions and they're succeeding on them and that's fine and that's cool but you know each of them takes place in the in a page or two and like these are these are really hard things to do um you know like going into the break somebody out of the bastille like that 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 should take a couple of issues to show that and and allow those events to to breathe and be shown visually on the page and for us to uh get a chance to appreciate them in the story I get that it's not always possible in today's sort of comic book industry to, to be able to have a 10 or 12 issue run. People, you know, forget about it. It's hard to keep an artist on task sometimes for that long, you you know, it goes to the basically having to create the comic and, and, you know, you just need that lead time. And if a guy's working long enough to be able to stay on the schedule for a 12 month series, then he's working for like maybe four, six months ahead of time. And you're just paying him to draw for half a year, and the company's not recouping any of that investment until the book starts being released. So I get it; I get the realities of the the comic book market. But unfortunately, it means that stories like this that probably need more than five or six issues to really breathe and, and be able to show everything they just don't get it. There's just not the, the room. So I think Evan Doherty's doing the best he can with the space he has, and. I still enjoy it. It's still a good story, but I, I can't help but feel. And again, this is not unique to AfterShock. It happens with image books. It happens with DC books. It happens with Marvel books. Uh, I just can't help but feel that that the series and and the idea is not getting a chance to realize its full potential. So that's not to say that I don't think you should read it, because I think especially reading it all together and, and as one. Five issue story, you know, when the trade comes out, it's going to be satisfying. And it's going to be fun and it's got good art and good color and a lot of action. Um, but yeah, it's going to feel like, well, this could have been something more. Um, so I still recommend it. I still think it's good. Um, but I think if it had 10 issues instead of five issues, instead of being good, it could be great. Uh, okay. So I think that does it yeah, I thought I had one more book, but no, I already talked about Party and Prey. So that's it. That's all the, the books that I'm going to talk about in detail. So let me give a rundown on some of the other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today as you uh, you hit your comic shop. Uh, I talked about all the books from, uh, from Aftershock. Uh, and I, I should also mention, speaking of Aftershock, so Party and Prey, I know it's coming out digitally today, but I couldn't find a date for the, uh, I well, I found several dates for the print version. I saw, oh, print version is not available until the 12th or the print version is not available until the 19th. So I'm not sure if the print version of that is actually available today, that, that uh, graphic novel from Aftershock Comics by Steve Orlando and Steve Fox. Uh, I know it's available on Comixology today uh, so you can pick up the digital, but if you want the hard... Uh, back or the printed version, you may have to wait another week. I I'm, I'm wasn't 100% sure on that. So, apologies for that. Uh, speaking of uh, trade paperbacks, AWA Studios has Redemption, the sort of shared universe story that J. Michael Straczynski is putting out for them that has their uh, first trade paperback for 9.99 99 being released today. Uh, from Bad Idea, we have Lot number four and Pirate Queen number two of four. So, that's the final issue of Lot. We're halfway through uh, Pirate Queen. Uh, over at Boom Studios, Magic the Gathering is up to its seventh issue. Uh, we also have Abbott 1973 trade paperback that's solid in the meds creator owned uh, for 17 dollars uh, Over at DC, and again, go check out our DC Spotlight episode if you want to learn more about any of these books. Uh, Are You Afraid of Dark Side, number one? It's a one-shot for 10 bucks. It's basically their Halloween anthology for the year. We have Arkham City, The Order of the World, number one of six from writer Dan Waters very creepy, very scary story ties into current continuity because it mentions a day. But if I didn't specifically mention a day and talk about all the villains that escaped from Arkham, I wouldn't think it was set in regular DC continuity because it has such a different tone. Uh, Batman number 114 continues the fear state uh, event. We have Crush and Lobo number five of eight for that miniseries. Uh, DC horror presents soul plumber number one of six dc horror presents the conjuring the lover number five of five nice house on the lake number five of 12 that i mentioned uh, earlier which was my favorite dc book of the week without question swamp thing uh, miniseries written by ram v with incredible art by mark mike perkins incredible line work by mike perkins this week and incredible color work by mike spicer that uh, 10 issue miniseries is up to issue number eight so just a couple issues to go uh, Wonder Woman 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular number one has a bunch of stories from some great creators uh, Mark Wade and Tom King uh, especially I'll call out to did fantastic stories so another 10 uh, ten dollar 100 page spectacular celebrating Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary is out uh, today Uh Meanwhile, over at uh, Image, in addition to the books that I talked about, there wasn't a lot uh, that came out this week. Uh, Walking Dead Deluxe, number 24 from uh, Robert Kirkman, and I've mentioned this before, it's basically a colorized version of the black and white uh, comic from back in the day. Um, If you missed the first issue of Echo Lands from J.H. Williams III, which is a really fun story. There's a second printing out today. I'll mention that. And then also Silver Coin Volume One, which is another horror book from Michael Walsh and various other uh, collaborators. Uh, The first collection, first trade paperback of Silver Coin out today for $16.99 as well. Uh, Over at Marvel, in addition to the books that uh, we talked about, we have Champions uh, Number 10. We have Darkhold uh, Alpha Number One, which I think I talked about last week, but I think it actually comes out this week uh Deadpool Black White and Blood number three of four Eternals Celestia number one from Kieran Gellin over in the uh X corner of the Marvel Universe we have Excalibur number 24 Hellions number 16 and New Mutants number 22 uh from Titan we have Rivers of London, Monday, Monday, number four. And if I'm not mistaken, that is a, a Jack the Ripper book. But I might be mistaken, but I thought that that rang a bell, so I wanted to uh, to mention it. And then finally, from Vault Comics, Money Shot, number 15, from friend of the show, Tim Seeley, uh, along with co-writer Sarah Beatty, which is uh, an irreverent comic sex book, I guess I'll, I'll say. Uh, it's pretty debauched. It's pretty fun. It's definitely not for the faint of heart and it's definitely for uh, mature readers. So that is out this week uh, as well. So like I said, a lot of great books, something for everybody. Don't forget to go over to your Amazon Prime account and check out We Have Demons from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, and then go and check out my review on uh, on YouTube uh, to hear my thoughts about it. Let me know uh, what you think. Uh, and if it's your book of the week, or if you decided to go with Nice House on Lake or Chicken Devil or any of the other books that you may have had a chance to read this week, Uh, I don't hear enough from you guys on what your books of the week are. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not asking on Twitter, maybe I need to start doing that. So uh, anyway, hope you all uh, enjoy your week of comics and you get out, get a chance to get out to your comic book shop this week. Uh, Once again, we want to thank everybody for listening and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content.